every summer in Chicago. The sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to episode number 38 of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and I'm here not with Joey Parisi once again. He's not here you know, helping me with the show. He's just lazy all the time. Joey does nothing and doesn't help with this show at all. So, Joe, can't wait to have you back, buddy. Actually, no, really, Joey, not available again. But he will be back soon enough. For those of you who are wondering, Crosstown Crosstalk will return to the Vinny and Joey show at some point. Very much looking forward to that. But today, I'm excited to bring in a very special guest, somebody who is freshly new to the Chicago Sun-Times, of course, I am talking about Maddie Lee, Chicago Cubs beat reporter for the Sun-Times, of course. Maddie, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Although I am a little offended that Joey wasn't here for my debut. But He's just hes just a jerk. I mean, I, I don't got any other way to put it. No, I'm kidding. He he's, has been available to do the show during the winter, which is completely cool. Um, we're working on all sorts of plans for when baseball comes back, but... You know, as of right now, that might not be anytime soon. So really to just kind of kick things off, that's exactly where I was going to go because there hasn't been much baseball news other than the boring lockout, you know, meetings type of stuff between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association since early December. And content creators like me and you have been starving to do stuff. So I think it's a great time to talk about it. What do you think about the whole lockout situation? What do you think is going to end up being the end result of the whole thing? If you have a prediction, it could go one of a million ways. And what do you do to kill time as a (laughs) person who just loves baseball in this weird, annoying time where we should have spring training? Yeah, uh, all fantastic questions. Um, I think the first thing that baseball fans need to come to terms with is this could go on for a very long time still. I know we're, it's already the second longest, longest work stoppage in MLB history. And it doesn't, we're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel at this point. So I know there's all these reports about like when the next proposal will come out, don't get your hopes up with each of those that there will be significant movement. I mean, we saw today, um, Thursday, that the players did their latest proposal. The owners had done their last one on Saturday. This is in response to that. And the meeting, according to multiple reports, lasted 15 minutes. So I think we're going to see some more of this until, I mean, we're starting to get to the point where there's a little more urgency where, yes, we've already blown past the report date for pitchers and catchers. We're going to be getting further and further into spring training, when spring training should be. And into territory, we're not that far from having to look at, okay, when is opening day even going to be? Like, we're only a couple weeks out from, you know, if we're having a four-week spring training, doing the math, at what point are we going to have to start talking about that opening day being pushed back? Owners are already starting to lose money with 
you know, when losing spring training games, players are going to start losing money once we get into the season. Those things at least will put a little more pressure on both sides to get to an agreement, but it it could still be quite a while. So gear up baseball fans. I'm right there with you, but there's some huge things on the table that can really change the game that we know and love and potentially in some really good ways, but it depends on who digs in their heels more and um, who is willing to, to make that first big leap, which there's just not a lot of trust on either side. So I don't, I, it makes sense that neither side is comfortable with giving up a bunch of stuff. Cause if, for example, the players decide to make a big move towards kind of the owner's bottom line, how do they know that that's going to be reciprocated? So it's all a mess is <laughs> basically the bottom line there. It really is a mess. So I'm curious as somebody who loves baseball and you're getting ready to cover the Cubs for the Sun Times, that's got to be extraordinary. When there is no baseball, what does someone like you do to either try and create content? What do you like to do for fun? All that kind of stuff in the sure. meantime of baseball being gone. I know. Well, this is like the first time in my career where I've been able to actually like go to a movie or go on a vacation and legitimately not be worried that trades were going to break. So like that part is kind of the silver lining of this whole thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, content creation is certainly different at this point. Um we saw it back in 2020 when we were all kind of making things up as we went along and doing lots of looking back. And I think some of that's resurfacing, but for me, it's also been an opportunity to kind of dig into some more of the feature stories or kind of more reporting based stories that you might not have time to do during the season or when a bunch of trades are popping off. So before I left NBC Sports Chicago, where I was covering first the Cubs and then the White Sox uh, towards the end of my tenure there, I got to do a couple stories about the focusing on club baseball, youth baseball on the South side. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and then so far here with the Sun-Times, I've been able to kind of dive into some more of those Sports Saturday stories. I My first one was kind of a more analytical look at what the Cubs have to do coming whenever this thing ends and when we see that really influx of, of transactions that we know are going to come as soon as the lockout ends, what they have to be looking for in terms of building their lineup. Because we've talked so much about that batting order and in past years them having to really bring some more contact oriented hitters into it to diversify that lineup and things have kind of flipped on its head um so that's that's been my approach to this weird time um but yeah well i mean we'll see how long it it lasts i'm at least going to Arizona getting out of the snow and get to write some minor league stories out at mini camp. Um, but no idea when the major leaguers will show up and join us. Absolutely. It should be fun covering the minor leaguers though. Those guys, they deserve a little bit of spotlight if you're looking yeah. for another silver lining to go with it. When I look at the Chicago Cubs roster and what it should be looking like when it comes to 
getting baseball back and when the actual major leaguers are on the field come the summertime, the one guy that I look at and I see somebody who's been there for a while now and he's really become one of the greater pitchers of his generation. Of course, I'm talking about Kyle Hendricks. What do you think of when you think of Kyle Hendricks' game and what he might be able to bring to this Cubs team that's kind of turning in a direction that Kyle Hendricks hasn't really experienced yet in the major leagues? Like when he arrived to the Cubs, they were ready to go for it. They hadn't won. Now he's kind of in a different part of his career with this team going in a different direction. What do you think about his game right now? Yeah, I think – with Kyle Hendricks, the thing that always pops into my mind when I think about him is just his consistency. And that's from year to year, that's from game to game, that's from inning to inning. And he's now the clear leader of a staff. I, mean, I know Stroman came in and was a huge get for the Cubs early on in the offseason, the pre in pre-lockout days. Um but Hendricks is still really kind of the center and leadership force of that starting rotation. You have a bunch of young guys who can glean so much from him and who have talked before about how much his leadership and his guidance has meant, meant to them. And guys this is like Albert Alzali and Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson and guys who, if the Cubs rotation as they can always add, right? They can always add whenever this thing opens up right now. But as the roster stands, they're still going to need some of those young guys to really step up in this coming year. And so Kyle Hendricks, yes, has to be the ace of this staff, but also can help bring along some of those younger guys who are going to be throwing at the back end of the rotation and really affect the the Cubs chances and outcomes in that way. And like you said, this is a, a very different season where they're building back from that massive teardown tear last um, trade deadline. And so they've just all gone through a wild second half of the season where they weren't competitive, but you saw all these guys getting chances and really seizing them. And, you know, guys like Wisdom and um, Frank Schwindel and all these guys who maybe were weren't who definitely were not in the limelight before got these chances ran with them and it was kind of a fun it was a fun set of storylines in the second half but how do you transition that into all right how can we open up our next championship window absolutely you brought up marcus stroman and I don't think you could go a interview about the Cubs without bringing him up with the way that he kind of signed right before the lockout was initiated. And he brings a lot to the social media game, which is nice for folks like us. Um, what do you think he brings to the team in terms of his pitching? Because he'll probably be in a one-two type role with Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks will probably start opening day, but let's say they were to make the playoffs. Stroman might go game one. There are lots of different ways you can argue it around it. But with the rotation set up the way it is, what does Marcus Stroman bring? Yeah, I think speaking of his his being outspoken on social media, he legitimately was asked about opening day and whether he'd be throwing. And he's like, I will throw anywhere. I think Kyle Hendricks has earned that spot. So he's already come in really with an open mind about what his position is going to be. But I think just right off the bat, he really elevates that starting rotation. And that's a rotation that, I mean, struggled all season, but especially in that second half of the year when it was so young and 
and inexperienced and just a lot of guys not even they're because of the era that this Cubs team is in they're getting these chances to kind of prove themselves that we certainly wouldn't have seen a year or two ago and so that that came with its bumps in that second half of the season and their team ERA was awful um, and they really stumbled to the end there but of all the off-season signings that the Cubs have had so far. And again, we're expecting more once this thing opens up. But Stroman was really the one that Cubs fans could circle and get excited about because it really is an immediate elevation of that staff. And so I think on the flip side, we also have to keep that in mind where a lot of people, because we've had this layoff and we've had so much time to think about where teams are at right now, there's been a lot of a lot of talk about evaluating where this team is going to be, where literally every team is going to be going into the season. But we really don't know at this point because there's going to be so much movement. And we saw with Stroman how one signing can really kind of flip the narrative immediately on, on what kind of an offseason they're having, right? Before it was like, okay, the Cubs are kind of doing some things, but like, we'll see. And then they signed Stroman. It's like, okay, they've made significant strides when we're looking at the rotation. The same thing is going to happen over and over again for different teams post-lockout. And in very quick succession, because that's all going to be condensed. So I think when we're evaluating off seasons, either for the Cubs or for whatever team that you root for, that's something to keep in mind that these things can really turn on ahead. Like right now, Texas is the big name when we look at off season movement, but that'll happen pre lockout. Maybe someone else kind of catches up with their spending after we reopen, which I realize none of that was part of your question, but I, I hope, I hope oh, that great that it's all great insight because it leads from what Marcus Stroman, the whole idea behind bringing him to the Cubs. And then so you got Kyle Hendricks, Marcus Stroman, they're the one, two for sure. Then you got Wade Miley, Adbert Alzali, a couple other guys trying to make that rotation and be the fifth starter. What do you make of the rotation as a whole? Because to me, they're a very underrated rotation that can lead to the Cubs actually having a fair amount of success. I know they got a long way to go with their starting lineup and the offense with after, you know, some of the moves that have been made over the last year or so. But, man, that rotation has a chance to be really good. Bringing in Wade Miley was a solid move. Yeah, I mean, that kind of veteran presence. And Jed Hoyer talked about, like, yeah, we have these young, exciting pitchers, but you can't build a pitching staff just around young, exciting guys. So you get veterans in him and in Kyle Hendricks, I think a lot hinges because we kind of know where those top three in the rotation are going to be from year to year, where the Cubs ceiling really hinges is at the bottom of that rotation and which of those young guys can really click and really grow. I mean, we've seen Alzali grow from year to year, but he still is working on new pitches and, and, really trying to reach that ceiling, which I don't think we quite know where that's going to be yet. Um, same guy, with a guy like Steele, very, very young, new, 
um, has you know worked through injuries in the past to be at this point. Uh, but we don't we don't know what a whole season is going to look like for a lot of these guys. So I you know we're still going to be talking about innings management coming into this year, and so yes, I think they have a good foundation, but I think that there's a whole range of outcomes that would not surprise me at all with this rotation. Absolutely. And that should make this season a lot of fun as long as the offense is able to somewhat carry its own weight. And that might start and end with somebody who kind of came onto the scene last year. I know we talked about him a little bit earlier. I'm talking about Frank Schwindel. And when he took over for Anthony Rizzo at first base, and that's not an easy thing to step into in late July, early August, and just be like, "Hey, I have to play Anthony Rizzo's position now." Some of these fans are going to no say pressure. some things. Some of these <laughs> fans standing or sitting right there are going to say some things to me that I probably haven't heard too much in my career. I thought he handled the pressure great. His OPS was outstanding. He's cranking home run after home run. Do you think he can do that again? Do you think? I don't want to say it was a one-off because he certainly earned sure. his spot. But, you know, what do you make of him and what he could bring going forward? Right. I think he definitely did earn his spot, especially, I mean, late in the year. He just, I, that by that time, I had moved over to covering the White Sox for their playoff push. And, like, all of the news coming out of the north side is Frank Schwindel. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I barely got to know him or talk to him when I – when I was covering the Cubs because I had, I was there for a few weeks after the trade deadline and he hadn't, you know, certainly didn't do in that time what he did at the end of the year. I mean, is he going to be hitting home runs every other at that for the uh, entirety of a season? No, but I do think that he's established himself as a really good option at first base. And I mean, when you talk about taking over for Rizzo, it wasn't just first base, but it was also batting second a lot of the time. And so, I mean, the fans got behind him. He's become a fan favorite, really great storyline for them. Um, don't think you should expect him to be this massive star for the entirety of a season, but definitely a guy that they can rely on. Definitely a really good option in that two hole. I think I mentioned this a little bit before, but when you're talking about the Cubs offense, what had been lacking in past years was those contact guys, you know, that you typically see leading off where for the last few years, they have not had traditional leadoff men and they've not had a guy who's stuck there for a whole season, you know, like it for a while, it seemed like Ian Hat might be that guy, but then he got injured, fell off, came back. Like, it's and been inconsistent been the story. since Dexter that, Fallon. Right. And that's been the story with so many leadoff men for these guys since like 16. Yeah. Um, and so you have a guy in Nick Madrigal now who is that contact bat, who is the more traditional type of leadoff hitter. And so I think with him and if you want to keep Schwindel batting second, that's a really nice one-two punch because Madrigal's going to at least make contact, often get on base more often than not. And then to have someone on base when Schwindel gets up and can have those power moments is a really nice thing to have. But what the Cubs are now lacking is really that 
middle of the order, heart of the order power. You've got, I mean, wisdom has been great for them. I mean, he was a rookie of the year candidate for much of the year, obviously has that power and, and some high strikeout numbers. But when you're batting like fifth or sixth, that's like, that's a really good place for that profile of hitter, but they don't have many of those guys anymore. And so that's, that's going to be the thing that they have to shore up when you're looking at offense is some of those power bats that they lost and those, I mean, those don't come cheap. So whether it's from internal guys developing or going out and getting, say, a shortstop who hits for power, not going to name names because I don't want get people to get too excited and then have all of that fall through. But whatever it might be, that's kind of the area that the Cubs still have for some real growth on the offensive end. Absolutely. And you brought up wisdom as you should. I feel like Schwindel and wisdom were kind of, yeah, the wisdom <laughs> thing. It kind of reminded people of Brizzo, but I thought uh, Patrick wisdom was outstanding. He broke Chris Bryant's rookie record and he didn't wait for home runs, obviously. And he didn't wait for the trade deadline to like get hot. Like Frank Schwindel came along after the trade deadline last year. Patrick wisdom was on fire even while he had Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez as teammates, his year was outstanding as well. Now, both of them are, I would say, older rookies. That You don't normally reach a season like that in your rookie year at 29 years old going into your 30s. Do you at least understand, or I, I don't know if understand is the right word, but do you at least see the side of people who think it's a good idea to trade Wisdom or Schwindel while maybe their value is pretty high right now, like a contend, a true contender like the Dodgers or the Giants or, you know, the Astros, they might look at Schwindel or Wisdom, hey, we can make that guy the seventh hitter and he'd be awesome for us and we'd give up a lot to a rebuilding Cubs team if you think they're rebuilding. Would you do something like that or at least consider it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point, right, where we saw – the same thing with you, Darvish, where the Cubs jumped on the opportunity. Granted, that was before the you know their big massive sellout, but jumped on an opportunity where they could trade him when they thought his stock might be at its highest, right? So similar, you know, obviously on the hitting side, but similar thought behind that. Um, yeah, I I think you know the Cubs have always said no one's off limits, but that's especially true now as they're going through these massive changes and and changes not just on the field but within the front office as well I mean we've and coaching staff we've seen so many new hires and shifts and um had Carter Hawkins coming on and now him working hand in hand with Jed he might bring some different ideas to the table so I think nothing's off limits especially going into this whirlwind post lockout landscape um, yeah, those guys could be really good for the Cubs and they could be really good trade assets. I don't, I think those two things are both true and the Cubs are not, not putting anyone off, off limits. Like I said, absolutely. Would you consider the Chicago Cubs a rebuilding team or would you consider it a retooling team? One that could make the playoffs, maybe not be kind of on that bubble. I know they have the Cardinals and the Brewers in the division that both had outstanding years last year and could very well repeat having outstanding years this year. 
I don't really have an opinion on it because I think you could kind of look at it both ways and argue at both sides, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think they're rebuilding. I know Jed Hoyer hates that word and has said, even since the trade deadline, like immediately after the trade deadline, he was like, well, I think it's too early to say. You have to see what we do over this offseason. So we can take that at, at face value and wait until after the offseason. I think a lot of teams just shy away from that terminology because it's gotten such a bad rap. But I think even teams, when they're quote-unquote retooling, you could call that a rebuild. And when you trade away your biggest stars all in one go, you've clearly torn down to build back up. Like I, I, I don't think that that's – I don't think that we need to be so um, – you don't need to dice up – retooling, rebuilding, and all of that into as fine segments as we do. Like, if you, if your championship window was open, and now you're going to the phase where you're counting on young guys, and working back to opening up that championship window, you're rebuilding. That's where I stand. Obviously, Jed Hoyer would disagree, but that's how I see it. Absolutely. And like you said, it has just kind of like a negative connotation to it. But I mean, the Kansas City Royals, they rebuilt. They won the World Series. The Houston Astros rebuilt about the same time as the Cubs. They're a contending team. You know, they, they got guys like Altuve and Correa. I know there's the elephant in the room with those guys, but they, they, they built a very good team over that time. There's no doubt about it. The White Sox, they the rebuild is like the signature of that team basically since 2016 ended. And now they're a legit contender in the American league. So I don't really understand why that, that term is so negatively perceived. Even the cups rebuilt. Yeah. They had the second overall yeah. pick in when 2012. Jed, Jed and Theo first came in. Yeah. yeah absolutely. That was a rebuild that, um, and that won the world series. Was, yeah. We couldn't even talk about tanking in, in terms of them and the Astros. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I covered I covered the NBA before this. I was covering the Thunder uh, right when kind of their post Westbrook rebuild started, and it was funny because their general manager Sam Presti also shied away from the term rebuild, but he put it in completely different terms. And I kind of like how he sparsed it up, although the way he talks about a rebuild is not at all the way that we use it colloquially, where he said, we're not at rebuilding yet. We're still, he, he used reposition, replenish, rebuild are the steps. And he's like, we're, we're not even to the rebuild section. We're still tearing down. We're still trying to build up assets um, like and that. get back to a place where we can build back up. So um, yeah, another, another franchise that shied away from rebuild just in a much different way. I, I like that a lot. I actually never thought about it that way. You're not rebuilding until you start to rebuild. That makes yeah. like if you're the Sox and you're trading away Chris Sale and Quintana and Adam Eaton, you're that's the rebuilding part. And then right. once you start to make signings like Luis Robert and Grendel, that's like the rebuilding part. I, yeah, I you got to tear really down like the house before you build yeah, it back up. Exactly. It's the tear down and then the real. Okay, I like that a lot. That's some that's some wise yeah. speaking from um the GM there. Did the Cubs surprise you? at the trade deadline last year, did you expect all three to go? They did surprise me. Um, I did not expect all three. I certainly expected one or two. Uh, That seemed, the writing was on the wall for that. But I think probably when Anthony Rizzo went first, that's when 
especially in the media, we all had to kind of change our thinking about what this might look like. Because if, you know, I'm not a betting woman, but if you would ask me to put down money on who, which of those guys might stay, I think Rizzo would have been my choice. And so, yeah, I think it was, I think it was a shock to the media as well. I know it was a shock to the fan base and I, you know, saw play out over social media, a lot of people taking it really hard because these guys had been heroes to them in their Cubs fandom, some of them very long Cubs fandom. Um, and then to see them all go in the span of like 24 hours, I think really gutted the fan base um, just in terms of morale. So yeah, in short, yes, I, I was surprised. And I know Jed has talked about how by doing so much at the deadline this past year, he was able to speed up the process because, you know, they won't have to do that over the next several transaction windows, which I think could be true, but obviously we have to see that play out um, and see if he was right. Absolutely. And over the last couple of weeks, there have been rumors about Anthony Rizzo returning to the Chicago Cubs. I know the New York Yankees seem to be waiting on Freddie Freeman. And then once Freddie Freeman makes his big decision, that's when Anthony Rizzo will be able to base his earnings on probably what Freddie Freeman gets. Cause I would say Rizzo is probably the second best first baseman on the market right now. He's one of the, you can argue he's the most accomplished, but you know, the older, the age, the back injury, there's a couple things that are red flags for Rizzo, but I don't think anybody would not want that guy on their team. Right. Would you think Rizzo has a chance to come back? A friend of this program, David Kaplan, is adamant that there is no chance that that happens. So I'd like to know what Maddie Lee's thoughts on that mm -hmm. are. Yeah, in his words, no shot. <laughs> no shot. <laughs> I love Cap. Um, Technical difficulties. I, be honest their process in this, if we're calling it rebuild, rebuild. But B also, and talking to Rizzo immediately after he'd been traded, a, a group of us were still there at Wrigley right after it happened. And he walked around and kind of said his goodbyes to the place. Um, granted, his thinking may have changed. That was, a, that was a really big moment, but he just kept talking about how excited he was for this next chapter in New York and being able to be a part of two such storied franchises and be able to make his mark in two incredible sports cities. So I feel like at that point he was making the move, thinking about it as kind of a long-term thing. Of course, plenty of things can change, including maybe the Yankees thinking, um, but I don't see it as a, a likelihood. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I know it would be a nice story, him coming back, but it just it doesn't seem like after the way last year went that it's going to – I don't think he's going to go there or the Yankees. I, If I were him, I would go west and enjoy the nice weather. I've accomplished everything I need to accomplish in my career, play October baseball in a, for a team that it'll be a little bit nicer than Chicago or New York, but that, that's just me. <laughs> Um, one person that I had the pleasure of interviewing over the years has been Brennan Davis. Mm, and Brennan Davis over this last year has 
turned into the Cubs' number one prospect. I think he came into last year as the number two guy, and he was just so good last season. He seemed fairly confident that he will make his major league debut during the 2022 season. If obviously there's baseball, I know we have to preface that every time we talk about the upcoming season, which Ooh. is extremely annoying. <laughs> again, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, again, we, we should just say for the rest of the show, <laughs> pending the 2022 season. What do you think of this guy? I think the world of him, and I would like to know if you think he's going to be an impactful player at the major league level for a long time. Yeah, he's really exciting. I mean, getting to see him in the you know futures game was so much fun. Um, just you know, power bat, quick in the outfield. I mean, and and at a position that the Cubs don't have that much depth in. I mean, I know you have an Ian Happ and a Rafael Ortega who can both play center field, but those, I mean, Ian Happ played left field for the end of last year. And if you can have, especially as I keep saying in this, in this uh, window, as the, as the Cubs are still in this young quote unquote rebuilding or not rebuilding phase, being able to give young guys opportunities to really grow and shine and feel the pressure of a big league stadium. That's big. Absolutely. I'm excited to watch him. Are there any other prospects that maybe the casual Chicago Cubs fan doesn't know about that you're really excited to see grow and have a chance to make an impact on the team? You can even say sure. one for this upcoming year and then maybe one for years down the line that you've liked seeing and are excited to see when you head over to Arizona. Yeah. Um, I'll start with non, that I guess technically wouldn't qualify as prospects, but in terms of young guys, Cody Hoyer is one who I'm really excited about. And I think they see as a potential closer of the future, um, obviously former White Sox and a guy who the White Sox loved as well, um, who I just think has, has so much potential and they've been working with him on this fastball and there's a lot of potential for growth there. Um, Pete Crow Armstrong is another one that they got at the, at the deadline who I think is one of those guys who even at the time of the trade, people pegged as someone who could really make leaps and bounds very quickly and get to the major leagues very quickly. So on the minor league side of the equation, I think that's who off the top of my head I would circle. But the Cubs are now have a much a much more exciting farm system than we've seen in past years. Uh, and a lot of that is due to both the trade deadline and then all the prospects that they got from you Darvish. And so there are a bunch of guys who really will be knocking on the door in the next couple years to come. And I think guys that really get behind. It's nice to see because the Cubs haven't had this like great prospect pool since they started to call these guys up when it was people like Soler and Baez and Bryant. But I had a couple, not arguments, but like friendly debates with a couple Cubs fan friends that I have. And I'm a White Sox guy first and foremost, but I loved Cody Hoyer. And his ERA, his ERA was high last season. He had so he ran into some bad luck early on in the year with the White Sox. But man, he's tall and lengthy, and he could get a lot of power behind his fastball. And obviously, Craig Kimbrell didn't work out for the White Sox the way they thought. <laughs> that is undeniable. But at the time of the trade, at the time of the trade, he had like a zero point five ERA, and the Cubs would not give that guy away for anybody who wasn't worth it and getting magical and Hoyer for 
Craig Kimbrough. If Craig Kimbrough worked out, both teams would be considered winners of the trade because I think Cody Hoyer, the world of Cody Hoyer, and he absolutely could be a significant piece in their bullpen going forward. I'll be a Cody Hoyer guy for a long time. Yeah, right after that trade, I actually went because Crosstown was soon after. Uh, so yes, I spent the time yes. on the on the White Sox side and just asked around bullpen guys, like, so what 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 do you think? Like, what are the Cubs getting out of this? And everyone kept talking about even, you know, beyond the his potential as a pitcher with it, which they spoke very highly of, how much of a presence he was in their bullpen, which is huge. Like for such a young guy to have like a Hendricks saying, oh yeah, I mean, it's a huge loss to our bullpen to not have that kind of guy because we were we were all so close and he was such a presence. Um, I mean, that speaks volumes for a young guy. Absolutely. And you're getting ready to cover the Cubs before you fully leave the White Sox in terms of that. Is there anything about that team that you enjoyed from last season? And what do you expect from them going into this team? Will you be rooting for them from afar? Oh, I had so much fun covering the White Sox. I mean, that is such an exciting team. Um, really what the theme that keeps coming back is experience and playoff experience. And I think they're all hoping that this past year's playoff experience will technical difficulties. So many great personalities and bats and but just their pitching was is so exciting and obviously kind of the, the rotation just crumbled in the postseason, but some really great pitchers who you wouldn't expect that from in the future. I think the ceiling's very high on that team. Um, and I was expecting a deep playoff run this year and I was wrong, but I certainly am expecting another one next year. Uh, they just have to get their, get past their demons with the, you know, first round exits. Absolutely. And before we let you go, are there any other like big baseball stories maybe that don't have to do with the Cubs or the White Sox that you enjoy seeing? I know Shohei Otani is a popular one. There's things going on with the Mets are just outstanding. Can't wait to see them play. What are you looking forward to most in the broader scope of all of baseball? Well, I can't say no to Shohei Otani, right? He, he was so incredible this year and just the sheer number of things he did within the year, whether it was breaking records, hitting and pitching, like, I don't know any of them off the top of my head, but he had so many where he was like the first guy to hit this with his fastball and then this with his exit velocity in one game, like yep. stuff like that was so much fun. And that's going to be an even bigger storyline this coming year. Cause we're all expecting the universal DH with this new CBA. So he might be the only pitcher hitting at all. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's really fun. Uh, I want to see Fernando Tatis Jr. healthy. And I think that could be, I mean, talk about implosion. The, the Padres in the second half to be really imploded. But Bob Mellon was really good hire. And seeing that dynamic play out, I think, is going to be really fun as well. Um, Oh, it's nice to talk about like actual baseball. Like for the last few months, we've been talking just so much about collective bargaining and 
and all of that, it's it's really nice to be able to talk about the players and the fun stuff about the game instead of the fact that it's not going on. Absolutely. I love it so much. And we can't thank you enough for coming on our show. It has been absolute pleasure. I know you just had the Jed Hoyer story that you just released a little bit ago on the Chicago Sun-Times. Promote that and anything else that you're doing and are excited about coming up here, your Twitter, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so last Sports Saturday had a story about um, about kind of Jed Hoyer's in terms of building that diversified lineup. Um, I've got another story coming this Saturday, focus more on lockout stuff, where I talked to Ian Happ about some of this stuff and getting the message, their message, the Players Association's message to the fans. So keep an eye out for that on Saturday um, with the Sports Saturday. And then I'll be in Arizona come Monday. So you can look forward to those really terrible beat writer, like shaky, blurry videos through chain link fences. I will be putting up plenty of that on my social media. Um, it's on the screen, but it's at Maddie underscore M underscore Lee on Twitter. So that, I mean, I know everyone's been missing those this week, so I promise they'll be back next week. Outstanding. I can't wait to see it all. Everybody's making sure they're following Maddie underscore M underscore Lee on Twitter. And of course, you can check out all the great shows on the Barroom Network coming up over the weekend. We got stuff covering the Chicago Bulls inevitable run to the postseason. That's all very exciting. The NFL draft is coming up here in a couple months and already starting to break it down and get ready for that for Chicago Bears football. And I will see everybody next Wednesday at 2 p.m on Bar Down with Joey and Frankie, breaking down all the things going on across the National Hockey League. Very much looking forward to that. And make sure you're following Maddie Lee on Twitter. I'm at Vinny Parisi on Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening.